more American troops are headed to the Middle East. What does that bring the number of U.S. personnel to in the region? Produced by Defense News and Military Times, this is the Early Bird Brief. Each morning we bring you the defense and national security news of the day. Today I can announce the decision to deploy an additional 300 troops to the U.S. Central Command region from home stations in the continental United States. Military personnel can now report past UFO sightings, and National Guard members are facing a backlog to receive their bonuses. What does it all mean for our defense and security? You'll find out. I'm your host, Simone Perez. Today is November 1st, 2023. First up, the Pentagon announced a new batch of troop movements into the Middle East. These additional troops will provide capabilities and explosive ordnance disposal, communications, and other support enablers for forces already in the region. Our Military Times Pentagon Bureau Chief, Megan Myers, brings us the latest. So, Megan, what can you tell us about the latest announcement of movements of U.S. personnel into the region? So, the Pentagon announced today that 300 troops are going to head to U.S. Central Command. They didn't identify what units those troops are in, which services, although we can probably assume safely that they are Army Um, maybe a little bit of Air Force. They also did not say where exactly they're heading in CENTCOM, just that they are going there as part of this larger um, reposturing to support Israel and also to kind of bulk up force protection in the Middle East in light of all of these drone attacks. Um, And the 300 are out of that tranche of 2,000 that had been put on heightened prepare-to-deploy orders a few weeks ago. But again, they're not going to Israel. They're not going to do any fighting. It's all very much support. And how many U.S. and what does that bring the number of two of U.S. forces and assets that are being moved or are already there in the region? So at this point, it numbers in the thousands. Each carrier strike group uh, has about 5,000, 4,000 personnel in it between the carrier itself and then the support ships, the amphibious ready group. That's another couple of thousand. Um, and then the embarked Marines. That's yet more. There's a few fighter squadrons. So that's a couple hundred more. So at this point, the Pentagon hasn't given an official count of all of them, but there are of the ships and then the squadrons, it all comes to thousands total. And then this this 300 is now coming from the United States, which is a little bit different. These other units had all been deployed already and just had just shifted where they were deployed to. Um, these 300 were not on any sort of scheduled deployment, and now they are heading to the Middle East. Thanks, Megan. Since October 17th, U.S. forces in Iraq and Syria have come under 27 drone attacks. That's 16 in Iraq and 11 in Syria. Pentagon spokesman Air Force Brigadier General Pat Ryder said six of those have happened since U.S. airstrikes targeted two facilities in Syria last week that are linked to Iran-backed militias. Ryder said most of the drones have been shot down or haven't hit any target, but according to the Pentagon, 21 U.S. service members have been injured, concentrated on attacks that occurred on October 17th and 18th. Another important story, are you a current or former U.S. government employee, service member, or contractor? If you are, and you have direct knowledge of government UFO programs or UFO activity, then the Pentagon wants to hear from you. The director of the Pentagon office, tasked with researching and analyzing UFOs, said there is now a portal where people can go to provide their information. 
There's a link to that portal in the story on militarytimes.com. The director said the portal is an initial point of contact between the office and the person reporting the instance. If you submit something on this portal, it is completely confidential, and the office will investigate data or instances dating all the way back to 1945. If you're a military personnel and see something, let's say tomorrow, on your routine F-16 flight, the Pentagon office says you should report that through your service or chain of command. The Pentagon office is working on a publicly accessible option for those in the general public that want to report, but officials did not say when that would be released. In other news, a thrift savings plan rule change aimed at spurring savings growth takes effect at the start of next year. The TSP serves more than 6 million people, including government employees and service members. For more on this, Federal Times reporter Molly Weisner joins the episode. So Molly, there's big news for retirees who have a retirement savings account with a thrift savings plan. What is it and where did it come from? Yes. So for those who don't know, the thrift savings plan is basically the employer sponsored retirement plan for government employees and for service members. So just like in the private sector where you would get, you know, a retirement account courtesy of your company, that's what we've got for um, the government. And you're right. uh, Starting next year on January 1st, account holders of a thrift savings plan basically won't be forced to take as much out of their retirement each year thanks to a law that passed last year called the Secure 2.0 Act. So essentially, it's changing the way that these mandatory withdrawals are calculated so they're reflecting only traditional TSP accounts, not Roth TSP accounts. What is a required minimum distribution and why is it mandatory? Yes, so an RMD is basically the fancy word for the IRS saying, hey, you can't just keep piling away money in retirement tax-free. We're going to come knocking on your door eventually. So what you can do is go ahead and put your money in an account. But once you hit retirement age, we're going to force you to withdraw some of that so that we can tax it. Now, some people have a Roth TSP, which means that the money is coming out tax-free already. So the question has been, well, why would the government care when I withdraw it out of that account? Well, that's exactly what's changing. So again, now, instead of calculating that RMD or that mandatory withdrawal based on the combined value of both accounts, going forward, it's only going to take into consideration the traditional account. Yeah. um, So in other words, retirees will now be able to let their money grow untouched for longer, in essence, right? Yes, that's exactly right. So it's generally simple math. An overall smaller amount of the TSP is being subject to an RMD, which basically creates a smaller withdrawal, thus allowing TSP participants to allow money to stay in their accounts and grow over time. And experts said, you know, that can be particularly helpful for building generational wealth. You know, retirees can allow that money to stay there. They won't be forced to pull it out. And that's, you know, again, a nice cushion, a lump sum that they can pass on to their children, things like that. So it's generally a very positive change. Um, It's one that I think a lot of folks were happy to see because it also reflects rules that had already been in place for like other private sector retirement accounts. So it definitely creates some parity there. Thanks, Molly. Also on your radar for today, documents reviewed by Army Times indicate the Army National Guard's continued failure to pay enlistment bonuses in a timely manner dates back to a 2018 Pentagon fire. For more on this, senior Army Times reporter Davis Winky joins the episode. So Davis, what can you tell us about why the Guard is behind on the enlistment bonus payments? 
Well, as you mentioned in the lead-in there, it dates back to the catastrophic failure of the Guard Incentive Management System in 2018 following a fire at a Pentagon server farm. Essentially, GEMS, as the system is known, was how the Guard tracked and manages its bonuses in the wake of a major scandal in California in the mid-2010s that occurred. And after this fire, GEMS went down completely for several months, which required all of the 54 states and territories that make up the National Guard to start manually processing enlistment bonuses. And because this was decentralized state by state, processes varied, the quality of personnel varied, the quantity of personnel varied. And so over time, we've seen fluctuating bonus delays that have been compounded by the continued struggle to get gems back to full operating capacity. Nowadays, we're seeing this impact around 9,000 currently serving guardsmen. What are the impacts on the guardsmen beyond the 9,000 you mentioned? Also, how large are those enlistment bonuses? Well, because these delays have been happening off and on for years, it's hard to say how many thousands of part-time troops received their promised bonuses later than scheduled. And in addition to that, the National Guard Bureau thinks there may be more than 3,000 troops who have left service without receiving their bonuses. Now, that could mean one of a number of things. Those troops could have been involuntarily separated, which typically comes with a termination of bonus eligibility. But there's also the chance that some of these veterans just got out of the service and had their contracts run out before they got their money. And that's shocking, frankly. And as for how big these bonuses can be, nowadays with the recruiting crisis going on, you can have guardsmen get up to $20,000 depending on the career field and the length of their contract. That's in return for part-time service, and they're a key selling point that the guard has in addition to its other benefits when it comes to selling itself to potential recruits. Thanks, Davis. And now, here are some other stories that we're hearing chirps about. For the first time yesterday, Houthi rebels in Yemen claimed responsibility for missile and drone attacks targeting Israel. It draws their main sponsor, Iran, closer into the ongoing Israel-Hamas war in the Gaza Strip. The Department of Defense recently resurrected a campaign medal for eligible troops serving in Iraq. The Inherent Resolve campaign medal was reinstated amid a renewal of threats against U.S. troops in the Middle East. The Air Force is investigating a potential brain cancer cluster at New Mexico's Cannon Air Force Base. The service launched its study in January. And the Department of Veterans Affairs is launching a competition focused on artificial intelligence solutions to help prevent burnout among the department's healthcare workers. It's part of the White House's new focus on the technology. And on this day in history, in 1952, the United States tested the world's first thermonuclear weapon the hydrogen bomb in the Pacific. That's it for us this morning. To get more top stories and breaking news, go to defensenews.com EBB to subscribe to the Early Bird Brief newsletter. Please give us a like, rating, and a comment wherever you get your podcasts. And please be sure to follow us on social media at Defense underscore News and at Military Times. 
The Early Bird Brief is hosted and produced by me, Zimone Z. Perez. Today's episode featured stories by Megan Myers, myself, Molly Wisner, and Davis Winkie. Our editor-in-chief is Mike Bruce. Have a great day.